Hi, I'm Adam Sobel, and this is Deep Convection. This is the last episode of the first season of this podcast. And to close it out, we have a very special guest. She's last, but definitely not least. Her name is Melanie Bielli. And while she's not as well known to climate scientists as most of the other guests we've had, she's very important to this podcast because she's an integral part of it. We've been calling Melanie in the credits, my co-creator and creative director. And what that means is that doing the podcast was her idea in the first place. And she's been a full partner with me the whole time in thinking through what it would be about, how we would do it, who would be on it, and everything else. Until about eight months ago, Melanie was also my PhD student here at Columbia. She worked with me and my colleague, Susanna Camargo. Her thesis was on the extratropical transition of tropical cyclones, which is what happens when a hurricane or tropical storm turns into an extratropical or winter type of storm, as, for example, Hurricane Sandy did in 2012. And Melanie covered several different aspects of extratropical transition, including my personal favorite, a very original statistical model she developed to predict extratropical transition. She published four peer-reviewed papers based on her thesis and finished in four years, about as fast as I've ever seen anyone do it, defending her thesis just about a year ago in July 2019. And a couple months after that, she went to Caltech to be a postdoc with Tapio Schneider. So among other things, Melanie is the first junior scientist to be featured on this podcast. In the future, we intend to have more. It's one of several ways we'll be diversifying our guest list, but it's very appropriate that she's the first. Melanie is a brilliant young scientist and an amazing person. Not that I'm biased or anything. It was a great pleasure for Suzanne and me to work with her towards her PhD. And if Melanie wanted to be an academic scientist for her career, she'd be a great one. It doesn't look at this point like that will be the path she takes, but she's still figuring that out. And we talk at length in this episode about what Melanie's next career moves might be. So you can hear her in the midst of that process. In previous episodes, we've talked to people much further along in their careers and heard them reflect on how they made their various life choices. So in this episode, we're looking at the same kinds of choices, but from the perspective of someone in the thick of it at a critical early juncture when she's just finishing her formal education and thinking about her next steps. So different age bracket, but very similar issues to what we focused on with others. When we recorded this interview, Melanie had just defended her thesis, literally just a few days before. And then she'd gone to Costa Rica, where we did this interview, to participate in a field campaign for a couple of weeks before going back to finalize and deposit her thesis and then leave for California. So it was a special moment in the life of a young scientist, and I'm so glad that we were able to capture it with this recording. A couple other things about Melanie that didn't get said in the interview, but that are worth knowing. She speaks a lot of languages. She's a serious athlete and outdoors woman. As a graduate student, she commuted maybe a couple of times a week between Columbia's Lamont and Morningside campuses, about 16 miles each way. And she's the only person I've ever known, out of hundreds at least, to make that commute exclusively by bicycle. In the episode, we talk about a lot of things, though, in addition to Melanie's life to date, which we cover at some length, including religion and spirituality. We talk for a while about that, motivated by our both having spent some hours looking out at clouds on research flights. 
academic versus private sector careers and how to maximize one's positive impact on the world, among other topics. And it's not just an interview about Melanie, but it ends up being about me too. It's much more a conversation than an interview, really. And I ended up talking a lot um, more than I meant to, really. That's something I'm working on. But so be it. It was a great conversation with a very special guest at a very special moment. So let me stop talking and let's get to my conversation with Melanie Bielli. Cheers. Okay, Doc. I thought we could start with just what's where we are and what we're doing here. Yeah, so we are in Costa Rica on on the West Coast. Um, It's cloudy. It looks like it's going to rain and I really hope it will stay dry for the next two hours maybe because we made a forecast that said that it will stay dry here. (laughs) And so we're here for Utrecht, which... Oh gosh, I don't even remember. It's uh, Organization of Tropical Convection in the Eastern Pacific. Sounds right I to me. Think. It's yeah. an acronym like something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a field campaign. And we're up on a hill. There's a we're at the top of this hill in this uh, beach resort hotel where all the scientists are staying, and uh, we're looking out over green hills and a sheltered bay of Playa Hermosa on the Pacific coast, as you said. And um, and this morning, uh, I was on the plane. We had a research flight. It was my first one on the NCAR G5. We flew through um, stratocumulus, trade cumulus, congestus, and deep convection. It was a wonderful uh, scientific experience. And you were on the plane yesterday. I was on the plane yesterday. Yes. Tell me about it. What did yeah. you see? Well, similar things, I guess. Um, a lot of beautiful clouds. Um, so and so, the amazing thing was to see all this. Um, first of all, through windows that were about twice the size of the windows that you'd have on a regular commercial airplane, and then also to to be able to connect what you see um, to the radar and the drop sound data that you have. So yep. the drop sounds, which are the, like the instruments that are fall out of the plane and measure the temperature and humidity and wind. So you were sitting there as I was looking at a screen with all the, all that data in front of you and looking out at the clouds. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you came, right? That's why I came. Yeah. To watch the clouds. Yeah. Right. And we should say that, a few days before that, you defended your PhD thesis. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. I came three days, I think, after I defended. And so this is sort of a post-PhD um, learning experience slash vacation for me. Right. Well, let's not tell the National Science Foundation yeah. that it's a vacation, but... Um, but it's yeah, of course we're working hard. We are. You did work all hard. day making a yes. forecast and yeah. teaching yeah. the new students how to yeah, but look at data and yeah. Definitely very different from sitting in New York, yeah. the office, staring at the laptop all day long. So right. it's still working, but it's yeah, it's a fun way of working. So you're in this moment between where you defended your. 
PhD thesis, you're doing this field campaign, and then in a few weeks, you're moving to a new job in a new place. Mm-hmm. Right? I will move to Pasadena, and I will start a postdoc at Caltech, mm-hmm. where I will probably again be working on clouds. Yeah. So. I think stratocumulus and trade cumulus, like I saw today, and maybe you did too, maybe not the stratocumulus. But because uh, you were in a different place and time, but um, we did see you some did see that accumulus, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it it seems like kind of a uh, a special moment in the life of Melanie. I mean, finishing a big milestone and yeah, it's sort and, of a gap in between, right? But I mean, it's a lot of things you in a short time, right? Finish your thesis, which you worked on for four years and stressed a lot about, and worked a lot of hours, and then. Uh, and then uh, being here doing this, which is a new thing, and then about to. I mean, I guess yeah. what I'm saying is I'm kind. Of, I feel like I'm kind of vicariously, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, experiencing this a little bit. Um, you know, seeing you go through this. this yeah, moment. no, it's what? an exciting time, definitely. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying this. It's kind of like, I feel mentally, I still haven't really caught up so i know of course that you know the phd is over yeah but i still think of myself as a phd student so i even though you started to call me doc i yeah, <laughs> haven't I've, updated that <laughs> yet yeah but well technically you're a phd student for a couple more weeks so that is true too so yeah. uh, you know that's so that's how we're paying time. you yeah 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 <laughs> right mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's a, it's a transition. And field experiments are special, I think. I mean, there are people who do them a lot. We should say there are people in our field who do a lot of field campaigns and and do this frequently. But for you and for me too, it's not really what our research is. We're modelers and data analysts and computer jocks, basically. Mm-hmm. And so this is a sort of special opportunity to come along and help out and see the weather close up and personal, and you know, experience it firsthand and 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 see how the data is actually made that um that normally we just get from somewhere else yeah so it's uh i've been privileged to have these experiences a few times before in my career and so i've learned that it's 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 uh special and it's very uh that one learns a lot i think we learn more from it we who don't do it often learn more from it than the people who do it a lot. I mean, for obvious reasons, if you do it a lot, eventually you get used to it. Right? Yeah. So I always try to bring as many new people as possible when I go on these things. And yeah, I think know, it's yeah, it's totally totally worth. Um, for me, at least, I can say uh, I definitely don't regret coming here, um, especially good. since it's yeah because it's very different from from how I've been working for the past yeah. four years. So it's very very different, and it's. Uh, pretty exciting actually that you can actually experience the the tropical weather i mean so my phd research has been on tropical cyclones and so now Mm -hmm. it's actually the first time that i get to see their natural environment and i think it really helps to it it helps you build physical intuition for for the weather here it it's also really i mean yeah just watching the weather it's kind of a zen-like experience 
uh, watching it so closely. I would never in New York. I would, you know, I would check um, weather underground yeah. or AccuWeather. Right. And here you're you're following the weather. You're trying to make forecasts. Yeah. You're looking at all sorts of data. You're trying to connect the data. You're trying to find, you know, the mapping between what what the atmosphere looks like on paper and what it looks like when you go outside or look out the yeah. window. I mean, I, I often think, you know, I mean, people study things that you can't experience as firsthand, right? Scientists study other galaxies or they study microbes or things that there's no way to you have a firsthand direct interaction with it. But since what we study, you sort of can, right? Yeah. You sort of can experience the weather. So it's really worth it to do that. And as you say, you could, most of what we're doing here, you could do sitting in your office in New York. But you don't. You don't. Yeah. You don't. I mean, you could, all the data we're looking at almost is available on the internet. Yeah. But it's not the same as when you're here and you have nothing else. You've come here to do that and you spend the whole day immersed in it. That's just... Uh, it gives you a whole new yeah. appreciation of, of data. That's Well, and of the phenomenon that you... Not just the data, but what the data means and, and uh, you know... Yeah. So anyway, we're both we're in, we're in agreement that this is worth doing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, but maybe before, um, since we talked about your PhD, maybe we should step back and um, say a little bit about how we got here. Can we do the short version of your, or even the not so short version of your biography? Um. Yeah. So, what's the short version? Version. Well, Where should I start? Let's like start with. Let's start with. Well, let's do the the Melanie origin story, at least the, ba <laughs> the basic version. So you you come from Switzerland? I, I come from Switzerland, yeah. I was born and raised uh, in Basel, which is a, which is in the uh, city in the northwest um, of Switzerland. Um, had a happy childhood. Um, went yeah. to ETH Zurich then, so got my like my bachelor's degree and my master's degree there. Yeah. And so my master's degree is uh, in atmospheric science. And after I was done with that, I decided to um, work for a reinsurance company. Uh, uh, it's Swiss Re. So my plan originally was not to stay in academia. Yeah. So I know. Yeah, I left and I spent one and a half or two years, I think, at Swiss Re. And I, I yeah, I really enjoyed it. And what were you doing there? Um, so it was mostly, it was um, building catastrophe models. So, and specifically uh, catastrophe models for tropical cyclones. So that's one, that's one of the core uh, businesses of, reinsurance companies mm -hmm. so they try to estimate things like what's the probability that a category two hurricane makes landfall in boston for example and mm -hmm. in order to come up with these probabilities they build models so they um, don't just look at historical data because tropical cyclones are extreme weather events so if you look at the hist historical record you just don't have a lot of events they're extreme so they're also yeah. rare Exactly, yeah, by definition. By definition, yeah. yeah. So you don't have enough, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I was in, in the team that develops these models. And then, yeah, then I decided to <laughs> g 
give this a try with the academic career after all, or at least to go back to academia for a PhD. Yeah, what were you? I mean, we've so we've talked a bit about your future and uh, already, but uh, in the short term, but. Um, but what, I mean, so what were you, when you decided to get the PhD, what was your thought process? I mean, you, were you thinking beyond that or were you just thinking, well, this is fun for a while and... Um, did you have actually, a Actually, I went into the PhD thinking that I would not stay in academia in the long term. That mm -hmm. was, yeah, I remember thinking that or realizing that um, I enjoyed research enough to want to go back and dedicating a couple of years just to that. And then what? Or you hadn't thought that far? And then I hadn't thought that far. That was, you know, PhD takes four years. That's way beyond my planning horizon. <laughs> right, but, but a lot of people would think, well, if I'm going to invest four years, it has to be for some other reason. Oh, I just thought, like, in general, that, uh, having a PhD, I think it can also serve as something like an like an entry ticket into interesting jobs, like broadly what? speaking. I hadn't thought about that in very concrete terms. So you just liked school and research, and you thought, let's try it a little more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And there was one condition I thought that it, um, so I wanted, I, I, I wanted to leave Switzerland yeah. and live abroad at least for a couple of years. And doing a PhD actually seemed like, um, like an easy way. Why'd you want to leave Switzerland? That? Oh, just because it, you know, it's a bit boring. <laughs> I was a bit bored. Yeah, I shouldn't say Switzerland is boring, but I can say that I was a bit bored. I felt like I needed, I needed a challenge. I, yeah, it was almost, it was a bit too nice. Yeah. There. Yeah, I felt like you know, you know it, it was it was. I was too young, uh -huh. <laughs> for that kind of life. <laughs> Yeah, I felt, yeah. Just the kind of life you would have had if you stayed there and worked at Swiss Re forever, you mean? Yeah. Or something similar to that. Yeah. Right. Right. And you were, wait, so you, and you'd met uh, your husband, but you guys weren't married yet, if I remember correctly. Um, We weren't married when I started to think about this, about doing a PhD. Yeah. But then we we quickly got married <laughs> when right. it turned out that I was actually going to do this. But I mean, he wanted to leave also. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was ex he was very encouraging when I brought up the idea of doing a PhD and especially of doing a PhD outside um, Switzerland. He was very he, he was very supportive of that. That was that was totally uh, also bored. He was also. I, I I don't know if he was bored actually, but he was definitely also. I think he could never, he could not imagine himself still being in Switzerland at age forty or forty five. I think for him it was also very clear that he wanted to experience something different. Yeah, 
But can we step back a little further since you sort of skipped straight to ETH? I mean, when did you become interested in science in the first place? It's hard to tell. As a kid? So was... As a little kid or not yet? No, definitely later. I actually... Um, so my major, if you want to call it a major... In high, do you call it major in high school? Not well, really. We, in the U.S., we don't have majors in high school, really. But, okay, but, but in college, we call it Yeah, a major. okay, so... Yeah, in the Swiss school so system, you have you something like a major yeah, in yeah. high school. My major there was, was Latin, so... Yeah. Tell me about that. The science was not... I actually... I, 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 I liked hearing your your stories about Latin. Can you say a little <laughs> bit about... Because I think, I, I, I think it yeah. has some relevance, actually. I don't know. It's just... I'm probably a bit of a language nerd. And I also I got really lucky with my Latin teacher. I yeah. really admired him. And he had this... Um, he had this way of teaching and of analyzing structures, which in this case were sentences. Yeah. That just... I found completely fascinating because yeah you somehow you went from trying to decipher like the sentence so you you broke it into its different components and you tried to put the components together and to um somehow get at the meaning of the sentence yeah and there was an additional layer i mean it was latin and sometimes there was not just meaning there was even beauty in it in the yeah. end if you did it right who and is the what was there any particular text that you found the most beautiful or just the process of learning the language it was it was in general it was the process of it the, an, the yeah. analytical approach to language that's yeah. what i really loved yeah and then there was i don't know what's the ovid in english i don't what know ovid it? Ovid, <laughs> yes. Uh, the reason I ask about this, I mean, I, I liked your story about Latin not only because, uh, well, the, for a couple of reasons, but the one I, the reason I ask about it is because, um, I mean, I should say now that you did a fantastic job as a as a PhD student. It was a pleasure to be uh, to advise you and and to watch you, uh, you know, do your research and and. Uh, become a mature scientist in many ways you were a mature scientist when you showed up already but um one of the things that was really the most unusual is is how well you write there's not many for many scientists writing is really a barrier it's something that st stops them that's painful for them and that and that uh, is kind of the, the part they wish they didn't have to do mm -hmm. but for you it seemed like even though you sometimes would say, oh, it's hard and I don't know what I'm writing, but it also, but it didn't look hard. I mean, it seemed that you were able to write quickly and well, and we didn't have to edit your writing hardly at all. Um, and so I just thought that had to have come from somewhere. And it seems like the Latin must have had some role in that. Yeah, hard to say whether that was a, you know, maybe the fact that I wanted to learn Latin was also just the consequence yeah, so, yeah. of a natural disposition to yeah. languages cause and effect is yeah. hard to untangle yeah. but and especially writing your you know english is not your native language either and you're you know you write precisely and perfectly in english i mean the grammar is you know and the grammar is not what makes it you know is not the what makes it good but you have perfect yeah. grammar also so i just it just seemed like yeah, this I'm is a, part I'm of a, a grammar nerd yeah but but i think many scientists don't appreciate that 
I mean, I, I'm I'm a scientist also who likes writing. I've always seen writing as part of the process that I like and that I want to do and that I get satisfaction out of. So I sort of identified with you watching you do that. Mm-hmm. And so I like hearing about, I like this story. Yeah. Did it have any, uh, so, and you grew up Catholic also. So Latin is the language of the church. <laughs> Did that have any? Absolutely. I I wanted to learn Latin mostly because I finally wanted to understand the prayers. Really? No, that was a joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I, I don't think that there's any connection between my desire to learn Latin and my growing up Catholic. But yeah, it's true. Um, like, I mean, what do you mean when you say I, I grew up Catholic and my parents are both Catholic and we actually used to go to church that's the, to me that's the definition of growing, that growing defi- up in any religion okay. is your parents give it to you yeah, and they uh, and you do it because you're that's your family yeah but there are different levels of doing it or like yeah what's your level i went to church sometimes on sundays <laughs> but you know it was different for my parents for example my my mother i remember she told me that she had to i don't know what what this guy you have you have to confess like you have to go to confession like on a that's once a month th- i've something. heard about that yeah okay yeah, and then you have to you know tell the priest about all your sins yeah i've seen this on tv okay Basically, that's how yeah, i know so about this it. was real life for <laughs> my parents or at least for my mother i don't know if my father actually had to do it as well so that's that's a different level of catholicism so yeah, yeah. i wasn't quite there but yeah, it was it was a part of my life. Right. But you yeah. quit. I quit, yeah, when I was 18. But I was I yeah, I didn't take it seriously. Like, but I thought it was interesting. I mean, you told me this earlier. This is how I know to ask this question, but but that you formally formally renounced your membership in the church. And I was sort of wondering if this has something to do with your scientific uh you know predilection i mean you you're you don't have to be a scientist to realize that this is bullshit (laughs) (laughs) okay you're talking to a jew over here i can't say this but (laughs) if you want to go ahead (laughs) yeah no i think i didn't i don't remember ever well maybe till i was 10 or 12 or so i probably at that time i believe that there was some greater power or something mm-hmm. but as soon as you start as soon as as you learn to think on your own at least just a little bit you quickly come to the conclusion no this is probably not how it works well but i mean um, so i i i'm not going to i mean i you know i'm not going to be the one to advocate for the doctrines of the catholic church <laughs> but yeah, i mean that'd be fun. but do you, i mean do you think that the scientist cannot be a spiritual person at all i mean when you go in the plane mm. and you have this emotional reaction to seeing the clouds do you think i think that has nothing to do where with does it come from how do you th- believing in god maybe uh, depending well, on your def- definition of spirituality but it's what's the definition that you would accept of spirituality? Yeah. Or, or def- is there a definition that... I it's mean, just that's compa- you see this and it's it's awe-inspiring to see this. But not in a way that that you would suddenly think, well, there has to be a greater power that made this for us somehow. Right. 
it's very different. It's well, there's the sort of corny vision of the old guy with the beard in the sky, right? We yeah, it's hard for a scientist to swallow that one. Yeah, but but, but even I don't know. I think it it doesn't take away any of the beauty of of what you see when you just think about it in terms of you know it's all physical processes that give rise to this. Yeah. I find that I find that fascinating enough. Right. But where do the physical processes come from? Probably not from the old guy with the beard. <laughs> it's just interesting to think about like what are the things that science can explain and are there things that scientists can't explain and how do we as scientists think who are also human think about those things? You know, I I kind of spend some time thinking about this well, sometimes. But- what do you believe? You know, I do. I believe in, in what? In yeah, good question. In some cosmic force that created the universe, and especially seems seems to care especially about humans. Care especially about humans? No, but I mean, you know. So I was raised less religiously than you were, mm-hmm. right? My parents were. Well, my grandparents were um, raised as in traditional Judaism, you know, mm-hmm. what we would now say Orthodox, although they, you know, then back in their day where they came from, there was, there was no distinction between that and anything else, but they knew the rituals and the language and everything of, of traditional Judaism, but they all, my grandparents on both sides, one was born in the U S one set of grandparents was born in the U S the other was immigrants from Eastern Europe. They all became socialists and sort of renounced it. So my parents were both raised with a strong Jewish identity, but no real religion. I mean, they kind of did some of the stuff because their parents were sort of in the habit of doing some of this stuff, but they mm-hmm. believed in nothing. And, you know, except that it was kind of a cultural thing it's for them. It's just about the practice. Of- Not even the practice. Yeah. It was about the language and culture and history and identity. Yeah. And, you know, it was almost, it's a genetic thing, right? The, the, the real Jewish law is that you're Jewish if your mother's Jewish. Yeah. That's what gets you to be a citizen of the state of Israel, for example. Yeah. So, you know, but with us, I think they realized that um, that that doesn't get passed down for too many generations. You know, at some point we're growing up in the United States, so we're not going to, you can't, if without, the religion is the only thing that kids, the parents can really pass to the kids. So they started us going to Hebrew school when we had bar mitzvahs. So I had a period of, I've had periods in my life of going to synagogue. The The more recent one was when I was about in my late 20s and early 30s when my wife decided to convert to Judaism not because I told her to this was her her mm-hmm. uh, her own uh decision um I mean I didn't object but made my and it made my parents happy but whatever so but did so you have a Jewish wedding then yeah we did or, yeah okay. but anyway so she you know when somebody converts they they study and they take a class I mean she did the reform version which is pretty easy but so I did some of that with her yeah you know so I kind of learned we kind of went through that so we had so I've the point is I've had periods in my life of doing the ritual in some version and there have been times when I have found it meaningful. You know, there's times when I've sat there and thought, oh, God, get me out of here. You know, certainly when I was a kid, that's how I felt. Yeah. Uh, but there have been times when I, I felt there was something there. I don't know if it's the tradition or the history. Yeah, but doing the ritual is very different from actually believing what the Torah says. Well, but, you know, see, this is the dif- I think this is the difference between Christianity and Judaism. So this is my understanding of the difference. Uh-huh. Um, in Christianity, the most important thing is believing in Jesus, right? Jesus is the Son of God. You believe in him, and he will, you know... What matters is whether you believe in God or not. You right. can sin as much as you want. Right. Judaism is not about that. Judaism is a bunch of rules you have to follow. 
Like the Torah is a long, long, long list of stuff you're supposed to do every day and rules about how everything works. And yeah, there's some stories about God and you probably should believe in that too, but really it's not the point. If you do all this stuff, you're yeah. a good Jew. Yeah. And I mean, I don't do all this stuff and I <laughs> never have. Just all the boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but that's what it is. And mm-hmm. so it's about the practice and that's, you know, there's like these stereotypes that Jews are good lawyers and stuff. I think that's where it comes from. It's like following rules. And and if you look at the really orthodox, they... they um, Wasn't that... That's kind of hypocritical. You know, you, you just have to follow the rules. You just, no, it's, it doesn't matter whether you actually if you read the believe Torah, in the rules. No, the Torah is a covenant between the chosen people and God, right? They make a deal. God <laughs> says, I'll be God to you and you do all this stuff that's and we're going to get along Jewish fine. That's perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, it's a negotiation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a deal and, and mm-hmm. it's expressed in the history. You know, then there's a history that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. So I, I uh, actually took a class in college, the, the Hebrew Bible, like not for religious people, like a, a secular mm-hmm. class about what it means. That was part of my education. But, you know, so I don't, I, and I've never done all this stuff. I've never been observant. I and mean, we do some pitiful, minimal version of a few things, but, you know. Yeah. But I have found it somewhat meaningful. But apart from the organized religion, I do think, you know, in the experiences, I think there's a spiritual side to science. And like coming in the field to me, you know, just looking out at the sky, I, you know, I, I think there's a, as human beings, there's something about that that goes, that, that, that the equations will never capture, you know. So, and I don't know what to call that. And I, It's I, consciousness in the end, I think. Right, but we don't really know what that is either, right? That's so the but we know that that is there. You know that we have <laughs> consciousness. And that's, yeah, what goes beyond the equations in the end. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it really depends on how you, on what meaning you attribute to the word spirituality. Right. Or having a spirit, spiritual experience. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I can relate to the feeling. Yeah. I mean, I was on that flight yesterday just yeah, staring at clouds and I couldn't get tired of it. Yeah. Right. You just didn't feel that your that your experiences in church was connecting you to that kind of thing. Absolutely not. Although I have to say, I mean, the Catholics, what they do understand is the importance of rituals. So in that sense, mm. it's kind of, yeah, similar. Yeah. To, it's, and this is something that's deeply true about humans, that we need this, like the tradition mm. and... Like yeah. that you can rely on these things to, you know, every year it's the same. We need this. We need the repetition. Well, it's and connection to your and parents and your ancestors and, and your. Yeah, that's, yeah. They they totally underst- understood that. Yeah. All right. So we were trying to get around to when you got interested in science, and we still haven't oh, figured right, that yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, after I finished high school. Doing, yeah, taking all these Latin classes, I decided that I would move to Zurich and study math. And yeah, at ETH, the the, the, top university of Switzerland. Yeah, it was a bold decision. And the math part, you mean? The math part. Yeah, Zurich is, you know. Because before (laughs) that, you weren't particularly into math. No, I mean. Do you have any memory of where that came from, that, that decision? Uh, I remember that I I wanted to leave my hometown, not because I didn't like it, but for similar reasons why I then later wanted to leave Switzerland, just because I felt like it was not enough of a challenge. I needed something new. Yeah, sure. But you could have left your hometown and done any number of things. Math is not what most people would have chosen if they hadn't that, had an interest that before. That just added to the challenge. 
Ah, so you needed a challenge. You wanted yeah. to set yourself something hard. Yeah, it had been really yeah. easy up to that this point. Is th- okay, this is a theme with you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whenever I get too comfortable, I, yeah, I make decisions that will get me out of my comfort zone. I think that's mm. sort of a recurring pattern in my life. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I see that. So it turned out that I was a bit too, too far away from my comfort zone <laughs> when I studied math. So. Yeah, so the way it works, and I don't know if that's true for in general for the European system, but you don't have to take any exams during your first year. At ETH, at least, that's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unlike the American system where you have grades yeah, you and have stuff all the, all the time. Yeah, you have all the midterms, your homework counts right, right. and everything. And then at ETH, it's really it's um, two months in summer after the first year, right. and you get, yeah... Do you have exams on every subject right. that you that you had during the previous right. year? Yeah, that's the European system. Yeah, and there's just only one it's pass or fail for the whole block. Right. And I failed. Right. And that was kind of devastating. Yeah. Um but that can, can we so I don't I don't want to interrupt you, but I mean I'm not, I mean I'm sure it would have been devastating for anyone, but I also get the sense that as a kid you must have been like good at stuff, right? I mean, yeah, is that I, true? You, yeah, that is true. I never, I never had to work, and I mean, I mean, I was a diligent student, but it also took me almost no time to do that. And you had so, some hobbies and things. You were, I mean, what are the other things you did as a? I had hobbies. Yeah, I. What are the th- other things did you do? I played kid? the flute. And you were also good at I that. Gonna, I, I was, yeah, I was pretty good at that. So there was a brief period of time where when i thought about becoming a professional musician but then i quickly realized that it was well i mean apart from the question whether i would have been good enough or not it was just the realization i was the wrong instrument but the Mm -hmm. point is you were good at stuff you were used to positive reinforcement this is something i've learned about you and watching you 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 like you do really well things you work really hard but if somebody but if you get a bad grade you're really unhappy you're wounded yeah, fair to I say? was deeply wounded. I think that's a fair assessment <laughs> of the situation. Yeah. yeah. And I should yeah. say that I didn't learn this about you until like a couple of months ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, at the time when you were early in your PhD and and uh, you had to take the exams that we have in our department, you know, and you would, uh, you didn't talk to me too much about it, but you were like. I tried to communicate to you how stressed out I was about those exams. Yeah. But I, I got the impression that you sort of didn't believe me. It's not that I didn't believe you. It's that everyone stresses out about it. So it just seems sort of normal. And, and, and I could look at you and, you know, I've, I've seen uh, by now a lot of students go through and pass and fail. And you were one of the ones that I just couldn't imagine you were going to fail. So well, I, I don't know. But anyway, I, I was really stressed, stressed out because, yeah, I, at Columbia, I, then yeah. after, yeah, I decided to do a PhD. And after I got admitted, um, I went to the applied math department at Columbia. So that was kind of a way of also trying to make peace with my past, I guess. Yeah, so I hadn't understood this. And we'll get back to what happened after you failed the exam, (laughs) but because I want to hear a little bit about that, but because we're doing your biography in very (laughs) nonlinear order. (laughs) But but the point is just that, you know, you come and say this and I say, oh, you're going to be fine, which I, which was, and, and to be fair, can we agree that I was correct? You passed the exam with no problem. I mean, the problem you had problems in your own mind, but I mean, I you know you weren't. I I graded the 
I was there when we graded the Yeah, Are forecast we... verification. Yeah, yeah, you, you did a great right. job. <laughs> right. But I didn't understand at the time that you had been seriously traumatized by this earlier exam. You didn't tell me that until years <laughs> yeah. later. So now I get it a little better why you were so, you know, yeah. so upset. Anyway. Yeah, so yeah, first year. So you failed hard. the math exam. So then what happens? And then I had to... Um, like reevaluate what I was going to do. Yeah. And of course, you could have taken it again, right? I could have taken it again, but yeah, I was wounded. Yeah. <laughs> it just happens to people. I mean, I, yeah, th that's not such an uncommon. I thing. sometimes wonder whether I should have taken them again. I don't know, but yeah. So what I came up with was um, Earth science. Mm -hmm. How'd you arrive at that? Um, so at that point, I think it was clear to me because, you know, I can't even say that I didn't like studying math. I right. actually did like it. I was yeah. just super bad at preparing for exams because I was not pragmatic enough. Yeah. I had never had to be pragmatic about my academics. Right. It had been easy so, for you. Yeah. 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 So, I, yeah, it's, I studied, yeah, things that were not relevant for the exam. And that was probably also one of the reasons why. One of the reasons why it didn't work out, but yeah, so I I like math, and then at that point it was also clear to me that I wanted to study science or math rather than something like language, which I had considered. Like uh, when yeah. I finished high school, this would have yeah. been sort of the natural thing to do. But I mean, I'm wondering if there's science, Earth science was it just something that you happened on, or did it have any resonance with anything else that it, you? It sounded kind of outdoorsy to me. And you were kind of outdoorsy. I is very I still am pretty outdoorsy yes. person and yeah, I think I didn't think about, you know, things like climate change, like global challenges we're facing as human society. Not at all. No. To me it was more um yeah, that I have an emotional connection to nature. And mm. this sounded like, you know, it's earth science. So you study mm. the earth, you study nature. This mm. sounded very appealing to me. I think it was, yeah, that's yeah what I was thinking at the time. Right. I'm trying to think of, yeah, we were talking about spirituality and you, yeah, you wouldn't have called it that, but you, you I would not call that spirituality, but I, nature, I yeah. love being outdoors yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah. of course the program of study probably didn't really no of course not <laughs> well there were some you know some geologic yeah did excursions. you actually learn geology i did learn geology in the first year yeah, yeah. i never did yeah which is kind of cool because switzerland is, is a great place and a famous place geology. i mean it's, it's where they discovered the ice it's ages the and whole stuff. Is history yeah. of geology yeah. yeah yeah it's an important place right Agassiz, wasn't he swiss exactly he was swiss bunch of other i think he was a guys, racist also but yeah, but, well, but yeah okay. there were some famous swiss geologists because yeah swiss alps are a great place to study geology right yeah so i did that and then right. i so the meteorology came at some point during that as part of that the meteorology was um the masters then so for right. your master's degree you decide um what you know you have to there are different specializations that you can take so mm -hmm. and one of them was atmospheric science yeah and to me it was clear that this was 
the one I wanted. Right. Because it was the most, the most mathematical. Yeah. Of these. So right. Was, yeah. yeah, that's sort of how I got there too, in a different way. But yeah, it is the most mathematical. Yeah, you came from physics. I came from right? physics, but you know, yeah, well, my path was different, but I, I came from physics. And, and then uh, as I thought about going back to grad school, um, my wife, I mean, we weren't married yet, but she's the one that suggested to me, well, if I had physics training, I would do meteorology because of global warming, study global warming. Yeah. So that's how I came about to it. But, it, you know, but the point is... So she had to, to tell you, you didn't think of this. No, I got I the idea from her. Yeah. I would never would have had the idea if she didn't yeah. say that to me. I would have studied some other area of physics. I had went through my own, um, you know, crises, uh, which were different from yours in detail, but maybe not totally different in, in uh, you know... Why? What did you Some fail? emotional sense. What did I fail at? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a professional musician, and I made an attempt at that for a couple of years after I got out of college. I was a double major in physics and music, and then um, and then I thought I'd try to be a musician. And, and I, after a couple of years, it became clear that wasn't going to work out, and so that's when I had some sort of crisis. Of con- I mean, I had never really – I guess the difference was – I had never, never really – it was not on paper. It was not like you failed at being a jazz musician. Well, I, you know, I did, but I, I had never really, maybe I had never really believed that I would succeed at it. You know what I mean? It, I knew it was a very hard thing and I didn't know, I, I'd never really believed that I was good enough to do it. Cause you played very, the trumpet, I right? played the trumpet very, and I wanted to be a composer, you know, I like to write music, but you know, I, 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 it was one of these things where I knew I was trying to do something really hard and there's a good chance it wouldn't work out. Yeah. But the point is, at some point, I made that. I came to that conclusion that this wasn't happening, and then mm-hmm. I had a period of like, well, "What the hell am I going to do now?" And then I decided to go back and give science a try again, and that's and I and so I ended up in meteorology. In my case, it was because of a, you know, my wife's suggestion, um, but uh, which eventually, which I didn't like at first, and eventually um, came to think that it was a good idea. And one day, Marit said. Um, well, if I had your training, I would do meteorology because of global warming, which is a big problem. She was a big environmentalist, so she gave me. The, so it was coming from her. Now, mm-hmm. in the end, that's not what motivated me, really. I mean, yeah. I then thought I didn't really care about global warming at that time. I mean, I, you know, it was this was the early '90s, um, and it was not that high on many people, too many people's agendas. But I, I just learned about the field, and I became fascinated by it, sort yeah. of for its own sake. But I did think, even at that time well, these environmental problems are real and are not going to go away, so there'll probably be job security. Yeah. <laughs> I was very pragmatic. But the point I was trying to make, but but anyway, but I, I was, you know, the math sort of got me, the math, I mean, it was physics, which is a little different than math, but the same kind of idea. It got me in, in sort of from a different direction, but it, yeah, you I know, mean, it's fascinating in and of its own. You don't need climate change. I mean, people often right. forget that there would be climate science Yeah, even if there were no climate change happening. Well, actually, yeah, yeah, I mean, do you think about that at all being here? I mean, because I, I mean, I, um, so my research trajectory is at this point a lot, you know, I'm a lot older than you, but you know, so I, um, do you think about that being here? I mean, well, let, let me ask a different question. I mean, so you've now been doing this, uh, you've been in this field now for a while because you, you did the undergraduate degree, you did the master's degree just to get through your, mm-hmm. the facts of your biography and we can come back and cover points in more detail if we need to but you, you did the, then you did a master's degree in meteorology right yeah um where you studied storms and um i'm trying to remember now you you 
I, I know what you did. It was more related uh, to heat waves. Heat waves, right. But you yeah. did write a paper on, what was it? D-Day, right? D-Day landings. D-Day landings, yeah. yeah. So you studied meteorology for, as a, you got a bachelor's degree, a master's degree in that, and you worked at Swiss Re for a couple of years, which was still, um, you know, about extreme weather events. You're yeah. still doing research yeah. on extreme weather events. And then yeah. you did a PhD on, on tropical cyclones and extratropical transitions. So you've been in this business now a little while. Yeah. You're not such a new, you're not so new to it. So, and is it safe to say that your interest in it through this time has still been sustained by just the joy of science? I mean, the intellectual yes. challenge and not, you're not primarily motivated by some social consciousness or. No, I'm not. Or something. I'm motivated by by the science, by by the problem. Do you? F- but do you feel a social consciousness about it? Also, I mean, do you? Does that relevance mean anything to you? Or, well, of course. I mean, I think climate change is one of the problems that we as human societies have to find a solution to. Uh, it's not the only one. Yeah, uh, we sometimes right. forget, especially yes. in this yes climate scientist environment. Um, what do you mean? You think we 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 make too much a big deal out of it? Well, hard to tell. I don't know. I just, I think there are some problems that are at least equally as important. You know, we have mm. economic inequality. We mm. have, yeah. we still have poverty, like in some countries that, yeah. a lot of things. I mean, other people worry about uh, artificial intelligence. Yeah. Other, other, or resistance, resistance, resist, uh, resistance to antibiotics. Yeah. For example. So in there are a lot of problems. In a few years, we might not have to worry about global warming because we'll all just be uploaded to Facebook. Maybe. <laughs> who knows? No. We, yeah. We have cancer. We have aging. We, we have yeah. so many problems. It's, it's not the yeah. only one. No, it's not the only one. But I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, so. I was asking this by way of getting around to another question as we sit here looking out on the sky and just coming down off these research flights. So this, like this experiment we're doing now, I love this. So, so, so my trajectory is, you know, global warming was part of how I got into it, even though Mm -hmm. it wasn't really my motivation, but it's where the (laughs) suggestion came from. Then I was fascinated by the science. I did my PhD like you, I just kind of was excited working on it and I just liked the challenge of it. And I, my thesis was related to the ozone hole. Um, which was an environmental problem, but I, you know, I wasn't motivated by that really. I mean, I, you know, I just liked doing the work and then I got, did a postdoc, which, and then I became a faculty member and I didn't really work on global warming for the first, I don't know, if you count starting from graduate school, probably the first 10 years, I didn't really work on global mm-hmm. warming. And then I started, it started to get into my research just because it was such a big part of the field. You couldn't not you know everything. It was so you started to be motivated by questions related related to global warming. Yeah, or? well, it's sort of like well, you were you were talking about diseases. So let's imagine you're a, a, a somebody who studies an epidemiologist studies diseases, mm-hmm. and you're in a place where everybody's getting AIDS. Like at some point, you'd probably study AIDS. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. like that. You it's just, just it's a big elephant being in the affected room. By this, so, so right. Yeah, it it's just will. a big thing, and you to avoid it, start it would start to seem like you're putting your head in the sand or something. Yeah. And I had some social consciousness that, well, if the work I could do would be useful. It should, so it, it started seeping into my mm-hmm. work, and it's been a bigger and bigger part of it, although still a large fraction of what I do is not climate change. But I've become more personally concerned about it as time has gone on. Yeah, you and as a citizen. Me as a citizen and a and human being. I've yeah. started to become, you know, the first 10 or 15 or even how long have I been in this field? I don't know, 25 years. The first 
some number of years, if you would have asked me, I would have said climate change is a real problem. We have to do something about it. But mm-hmm. it didn't really worry me in my own person. I didn't spend any time. Like Yeah, the rational level, you knew it was a problem. It, totally but clinical. Feel it, you yeah, know? Yeah, and the yeah. feeling it has only started in the last few years. Trump mm-hmm. made it a lot worse. <laughs> but, you know, it's just started to... But also the fact that the planet just keeps getting warmer and bad stuff just keeps happening and nobody's doing anything about it. And, you know, the you sort of thought at some point, well, we'll need to get serious and that'll happen. And it hasn't. Instead, we've gone in the wrong direction. So I've become mm-hmm. more and more concerned. And I've become sort of, um, you know, tormented by this and thinking, what should I be doing with my life? What should I be doing with my career? But coming on these kind of field campaigns is wonderful because it just, you know, it's, it just gets you totally back into the joy of science. And mm-hmm. this experiment we're doing is not a global warming experiment at all. It's just about how clouds work and stuff like, you know, how yeah. weather systems work. And it's wonderful to be away from to feel apolitical and just be back to the joy of discovery you know which to me goes back to when i was a small child i mean yeah. my first memories of just the curiosity in science like how are, does this work yeah you know, but well, then i sort of think like i almost you know then i take a moment to reflect on it and i almost feel guilty it, yeah. like <laughs> yeah. it's like you know is it is it because because is honestly it okay to just enjoy enjoy science while global warming is happening or? right Should, <laughs> shouldn't we be doing something about it like is it okay to just study the atmosphere as a as a pure intellectual pursuit, you know, as a, as a human observing the wonder of nature when it's, when, you know, when at the same time we're doing this harm to humans and other species by what we're putting in the atmosphere. Of course, the atmosphere doesn't care. Like, you know, you yeah, whenever warning. we say we want to save the planet, we don't want to save the planet. We want to save us. Us, but I think you could yeah. make a case for other species too. Uh, yeah, we're doing some. We're, yeah, but we're not doing it for them, not really. Well, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Period. We're not doing. Well, it. we're doing <laughs> some things. Yeah. Um. But but uh. Well, not much yet. So anyway, so you c- can we just get back to you, your your life though for a minute? So um. <laughs> so you decided to do the PhD. Um. You came here. Somehow you chose me specifically, which was very flattering. And Yes, and, the uh, bare bones HTML website really helped. <laughs> <laughs> is that really true? That is true, yeah. Why did that, why did that appear? My, so we're talking about my crappy webpage, which I coded in 1997 when I was a postdoc <laughs> and has updated lists of papers, but really looks like, you know, it looks terrible. So why, 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 why was that? I just liked that it was so... It's so matter of fact, you know, it's just like, okay, this is me. This is a crappy picture of me. These are my publications. This is my CV. It was just not trying to give you this marketing pitch that you so often, I mean, coming from Europe, this is one of the first things you notice about the US. Right. But you wanted to be in New York too, right? Wasn't that part of it? Well, New York was one of the things, uh, or one of the cities where we thought it would be realistic for my husband to, to find a job. Right, right. So you guys, let's just, so I, you know, so you guys uh, met in, when you were at ETH, is that right? Yeah, it's, we actually, so my father knows my husband's mother. So we kind of knew of each other's existence, like, Oh, really? From when we were kids, but oh, really? we never really knew You're from each like the other. same town. They were from, from the same, okay. yeah. So that uh-huh. was different, not not Basel, but they were, yeah, they were from the same village. So, but we only got to know each other when I moved to to Zurich mm. uh, to go to ETH because he was already studying at ETH. He's a physicist, know? right? He's a physicist, yeah. Yeah. So New York was gonna so, and then he got his PhD, but 
he wasn't fixated on an academic career either. He I knew guess. that he didn't want to to go for an academic career. You guys career. are on the same wavelength about we that. We were totally on the same <laughs> wavelength about that, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so New York was the good choice. So you came to Columbia. Um, you did your PhD thesis on extratropical transition of tropical cyclones, mm-hmm. which we should say that is not a topic. So, you, and you had two advisors, me and my colleague Susanna Camargo, yeah, who I've worked on hurricanes with for a long, long time. And we should, I guess, we should also say the other thing about this that was kind of a personal, sort of had the personal connection to my story was that I had not the topic of your thesis was something that. Although we'd worked on hurricanes, Suzanne and me both for, I mean, together for many years. Yeah, but extratropical transition was e- new for... Extratropical for transition, long. which is when the hurricane turns into a a, a mid-latitude storm, a non-tropical storm. Uh, we, we had not worked on that. So we sort of giving you a new, you know, a new problem. And I, we'd gotten interested in that because of Sandy. Yeah. Which was a storm that underwent extratropical transition before doing this devastating damage to New York and the whole area around it. That ended up changing my life because I, um, you were got, there. I was yeah. there. I got sucked into talking to the media a lot, um, and that sort of made me more aware of my, made me feel that my science should have or could have some kind of role, societal, yeah, role. And I ended up writing a book, and you know that gave me sort of more of a sense of. Oh, but then that started way, like long, long before Trump and. Midlife yeah. crisis. Like, it started before Trump, but 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 before Trump, it was sort of, it wasn't a crisis. It was sort of like, oh, people care about the work that I'm doing. You know, I can, maybe I can do something that will matter to the world in a different way than writing papers does, right? Yeah. So that topic grew out of that. And so you came and we gave this topic to you and you said, we said, do something with it. And you, you know, you had great independence and we didn't really need to teach you particularly much. And it was sort of very... um you were just an excellent student and, and it was, you know, it was wonderful to, uh, to work with you. But, um, so what was the point? So now what, I mean, so, so you weren't interested in the academic career, but, um, it seems like you're sticking with it slightly longer because you're doing yeah. this postdoc, which is an academic job. Uh, and so, I mean, what are your, so given all this, you know, the the role of science <laughs> in society, you're, you know, I mean, what, 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 where do you see this all going or are you still not, are you still postponing uh, I'm, confronting that? I'm postponing confronting that. Well, no, I mean, I've, I've been thinking about that. I mean, si- similar to you, I mean, of course, at some point you start to give more thought to the question, what do you want to do? with your life yeah basically yeah and for me it was sort of natural to to you know to get a good education to uh, yeah then even decide to get a phd so for me this question becomes more more relevant now and as i yeah i said like uh, going into this phd i thought yeah this would be just a brief stint in academia and I would go back to doing something else mm. afterwards. But With no concrete thoughts about what that would be? N- no, no concrete thoughts, really. I mean, going back to reinsurance I was, was definitely something that I considered, mm-hmm. but yeah, I really haven't given it 
You could okay. do that. I mean, we, we should say that if you wanted to do that, it would be quite easy for I you, I think. Could still you, do you'd get that. a job in but a second, yeah. But yeah, then just looking around, I, th- I saw that Tapio Schneider at Caltech is, mm-hmm. um, he has a project um, in which he tries to build basically a new climate model from scratch that uses a lot of uh, machine learning techniques and a uh, particular focus of it is to understand cloud dynamics mm-hmm. um, because yeah, clouds are responsible for a lot of the uncertainty that, that we have in projections yeah. of climate for the 21st century, the end of the 21st century. And yeah, when I saw what he was doing, it just looked extremely interesting to me and I felt like, okay, at least I have to ask if he might, you know, he'd have a short-term project for me so that I could... Why short-term? Why was that yeah, important? Yeah, that was <laughs> so short-term, of course, because I at that point I still felt like, no, I, I don't want to stay in academia right. in the long term. So I saw this as sort of a, yeah, because I was... I finished my PhD in four years, which is, yeah, which is a bit, I mean, I, I know that I, as fast as possible. Yeah. So I was quite happy about that. I figured, you know, I could spend half a year. So just doing something right? that would be fun. Yeah. So that's why I asked for a short project, but now I'm going there. Um, and I don't know whether in the end I will stay for half a year for a year. Um, but I'm, yeah, I sort of ended up going back and forth on the question of whether I should stay in academia or not. So, I mean, we should say that we've had long conversations about this and my feelings are, I mean, that it's of course your life and you should do what you want to do. I, I'm just concerned that you, if you don't, that the reason you, if you decide not to stay in academia, that the reason shouldn't be the feeling that you're not capable of it because my assessment is that you'd be great. And so I just think, you know, of course, I'm selfishly, I mean, I'd like to see my talented students stay in the field. That's nice <laughs> for me. You know, that's a sort of parental, uh, you know, I mean, that's not a reason for you to do anything. So I, I'm, my, I'm, 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 I have a conflict of interest, of course. But um, so we don't need to, we don't need to replay all of that. But, but what, I mean, can you say what are the reasons why? I mean, you've, in other words, you're describing like this all that you Academia versus private sector. Well, you've made or... this decision up front that, that this, despite doing a PhD, which is the thing that one, the natural thing one would do from there is become an academic. Now, many people don't, right? Many people choose other careers and that's fine. We don't think that everybody ha- who does a PhD has to become an academic. I don't believe that. I mean, I don't think that other people who do other things have, mm-hmm. are failures or that they've, you know, that, that they're making a wrong decision in their life. But, but you sort of had this, but it's un- it's kind of unusual to have somebody who comes into it having decided already before they even start that they don't want to continue down that path, especially somebody who's as good at it as you are. So I'm just kind of, I mean, I don't want to torment you any more about it than I already have. But Yeah, I, no, I mean, part of the reason why I thought that I would not stay in academia in the long term was really, yeah, I, I didn't think that I... And I'd be good at it. So that was, and I'm slow, I'm starting, I'm trying to accept that 
you have a different opinion on that and Susanna has a different different opinion on that too uh -huh. so I'm working on that but even so I mean other thoughts I have on that was I mean staying in academia would mean that my husband and I would probably end up or I don't know it would just be hard for the two of us to find a job in the same place yeah, so that's, that's really we have a real we have a two-body problem and that's, well, that's I think it, it's easier to solve the two-body problems when both right um work in a private sector and not in academia because yeah, there are just not many yeah. pos positions in academia but another yeah. thing is also that so we were talking about, okay, the question of what to do with your life. And I think one thing I really want to aim for is having a positive impact mm. on society yeah. somehow. I really do think that especially, I mean, climate change is not a problem that we can solve with more science. So I don't, I can't see myself having a big impact by means of working as a climate scientist. Yeah, well, I mean, well, uh, I mean, so to take a step back, I mean, the two-body problem is a real thing, um, but it's, I mean, the worst two-body problems are from two academics, usually. That's, those are the people who really... Yeah. Yeah, but, but that's also a question where you're sort of prejudging the outcome of an uncertain... I mean, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what job you in other words you're uh, i don't know what's gonna happen but i think it's fair to say that if for example both my husband and i worked worked for an international company you we would have more geographic mobility than yeah if that's one probably of us true but i'm just a saying tenured like, position at yeah. some university in the middle of nowhere well the geographic mobility is that you want to be able to move around a lot or that you want to be in the same place uh i think we want to move uh, at least i want to move around okay but about the impact, so okay. I mean, how much impact do academics have? I don't know. I mean, as you know, mm -hmm. I'm I I we've just said that I'm struggling to figure out how to have how to have an impact. Yeah, I mean, so you I've, must have thought about that too. I mean, well, when I was young, I didn't worry about it. When I was young, I didn't worry about what impact it would have. It was only got all older that I felt some sense of responsibility. Yeah. You know, maybe it's being a parent or just being old or just. So is that not your assessment of the situation? When do you think that you can maximize your impact by? doing your work as a scientist by writing papers by doing outreach by writing books well the question of how i personally can maximize my impact is is complicated because i i mean i i you know i have a different decision process than you right i already have a stable career that my basic job description is not going to change mm -hmm. but i have the flexibility within that to do different things so my my question is, within the position that I'm in, how can I use the, the flexibility and the status and the power that I have to do the most that I can? And I'm under no illusions that I'm going to have a huge impact in the world. But so you, you would not consider a radical career change? Like what? Uh, becoming a politician? Oh, no. That's not going to happen. No, I'm not going to become a politician. Well, there's an argument to be made that, you know, if you have success as a politician then you actually do have some power to yeah i mean i it's just not for it's not for me you know 
I mean, you know, but but uh, but also, I mean, I, I this is where I think it's interesting. Like you, when we talk about this, you and we've had a few conversations about it. You have you sort of talk about it in terms of maximizing your impact, like you're solving some optimization problem, you know. And to me, I don't really. I mean, I think we all have to live our life, right? We have to. We have our spouses and our families and our, you know, it's our, a maximization our, problem under some constraints. Right, but to me, it's. You know, the, the, so here's a, here's a religious, uh, here's here's something from the Jewish tradition. Okay. This, I don't remember which book this comes from. I don't think this comes from the Torah, <laughs> but it comes from one of the, I think it's Hillel, the great Rabbi Hillel from the Middle Ages said this, if I'm not mistaken. The saying is, it's not your job to finish the work, but nor are you free to desist from it. In other words, what that means is like, I, I find this really helpful when struggling with this. In other words, you shouldn't beat yourself up that you're not doing the maximum possible or that you're not solving the problem on your own. But you just you're in the you're you in the situation you're in and you do what you can, and that's all you know. That's all anybody can ask of themselves, you know. And I find that really yeah. Helpful. But most people don't do what they can, and that, I mean I'm not. I mean this makes me sound like as if I were you know a super altruistic person. That that's that's not the case. I mean it's the, it's like the whole the optimization problem. It takes into account not just the the planet's well-being or societal well-being right. it takes into account my own well-being as right. well and prioritizes my own well-being but well this being. is why but this is why i have this argument with you because i just i i've just seen you do research and seen like you have this it looks to me that you have the experience of sort of the joy of of the intellectual pursuit like Maybe I'm. Yeah. Maybe no, I'm no, projecting. Absolute, no, you're absolutely correct about that. You know, I don't doubt that doing research is something that I would love to continue doing in the future. Right. Yeah. So For I years, mean, so we, why isn't that a place to start? Well, or or what else would you be doing that would have greater impact? What's your alternative? Um. Well, and um, a job. An intellectually challenging job that pays well and that will allow you to donate a lot of money is a very easy and very efficient way of having an impact. Mm. Well, so like what? What's the what's the intellectually challenging job that pays a lot of money? Uh, quantitative finance, for example. But the, I mean, so I, I don't want to, and I know your husband works in quantitative finance. I don't want to denigrate <laughs> quantitative finance. Just speaking for myself, I mean, the reason that, I mean, because there's, where's the time in my life when I sort of briefly considered this? I mean, to be honest, it never appealed to me at all. So I, you know, I'm not, I'd never made any sacrifice to not do know. it. What's that? You didn't know what a job would actually look like. No, but I knew that, we have I didn't know what the job would look like in the sense of the day-to-day -day details of the work, but I knew that the, the, the objective of the work itself would have no meaning for me. Yes. You know, in other words, that the job of working in a company whose goal is to somehow make more money by making investments or trade, you know, yeah. buying something and selling it, that that to me would seem meaningless and that that would, I, that would ultimately not sat be satisfying for me. I knew that much. But and do I, you want to have my... the feeling of having an impact or do you actually want to have an impact? Well, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, for me, impact is just one thing. I mean, when I was young, I wasn't concerned about impact at all. I was trying to find something that I would be happy doing. I was a kid of the 60s and 70s where we, we were told, like, do what makes you happy, you know, fulfill your dreams. I mean, that's what we were told. Now, I don't really 
believe that you can live like that. I mean, I think that was a kind of a fantasy of the sixties, but you know, I, but that, that's where I was coming from just to tell the, mm-hmm. the story of my life. Right. So I, I wasn't concerned at your age about how am I going to maximize my impact? I did not worry about that. Right. So, so I only came to I, think yeah, about this as an old a, person. one factor that goes into my right. optimization problem. And by no means the most important one. I should. Right. I, I guess on some level. I don't want to come across but, as Mother Teresa here. Politically, though, it, to, for me, and this is not, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. If I were to think about, like, why don't I do what you're saying? Like, mm-hmm. why don't I quit my job and go work on Wall Street and get a lot of. For me, it also kind of bothers me politically that we live in a society where rich people donating money is as important as it seems to be. I don't think that's how the world should work. You know, I think we should have a society where, you know, we collectively run the society and everybody has some kind of a voice and the resources go where they should go rather than individuals making a lot of money and using their own, you yeah, know, out of their own. Yeah, but as long as we're not there, it's yeah, okay. the best possible thing to do. Yeah. All right. I guess. I mean, I don't know. It does That doesn't cut it for me, but if it cuts it for you. Then... Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's what, what I was saying. Most, most people want to have, want to feel that they're having an impact. They want to be, you know, emotionally. Well, for me, they I want n- something that, yeah, that's emotionally satisfying and not necessarily like if you then actually do, if you actually evaluate what, what your contribution is to the world, that would actually look good in that evaluation. But so you see, right. But I mean, but you can, I mean, you can do a, I mean, how big a sacrifice do you want to make? I mean, so you... Yeah, I'm uh, saying, I said, yeah. I said, it's just one factor that goes into it. Right. Yeah. But I feel it's, it's like a pretty good overall package. You know, you have you have a challenging job, uh-huh. a stimulating job. Right. You... But so is you your... But like, so, but, and, and but is it so... Because Moro, your husband has a job like this, so is that is that's what's given you an insight into how it? Yes, I think so. Yeah. I probably, if you know, if if you had asked me five years ago, is that something that you'd consider? I would have like no brainer, no. Uh, yeah, but it but looks, now it looks now kind of I see now yeah I I meet some of these people and they're all they're kind of like nerd departments within the companies. <laughs> really, it's it's pretty. People are pretty nice. It's pretty scientific. A lot of them have a PhD. It's, oh, that I know. I mean, yeah. yeah. But it's almost yeah, that's like, for I, sure I mean, true. you can't really say an academic environment, but it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not the way you picture it, like it, from Wall Street movies. Oh, it's I don't picture it very in a particular that. way. Yeah. yeah. I, know there's a, I know there's a lot of physicists and math nerds working there. Yeah. So your that day-to-day started, work yeah. is pretty interesting, you know? And of course, I mean, the, you don't really feel like, you know, you're working directly on solving a global challenge. Yeah. But you can make up for that. And it's, yeah, that's why I'm saying that you look yeah. at the package. It's but then you're, but then, then, uh, then this opportunity came up to change fields and you suddenly had the idea of, of um, working in, yeah. in yeah, that's something biomedical. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So when I was thinking about this academia versus private sector, um, yeah, I realized that one of the factors that go into the, this decision is really the impact. And since by working in academia, you don't make a lot of money mm-hmm. that you could then donate, I figured um, 
then if I am to stay in academia, then I should try to directly work on one of these global challenges. Mm. And, well, I think that climate science is not a field where you can do that because, yeah, we talked about it. I don't think it's a science problem at this point. Yeah, I we're more or less in agreement on that. Yeah. I mean, not that I... I think science has to be part of it. And I think scientists have to be part of it. So I don't think that being a climate scientist is irrelevant or means that you have no impact. But it, I agree that the problem is not going to be solved by a breakthrough in climate science. Yeah. It's Maybe politics, a breakthrough in, uh, in, you know, alternative energy technology. Yeah, or technology, but, yes. Yeah. Engineering, yes. I see a huge potential for, for engineering and yeah. solving climate change. Right. So we're agreeing on that. So then, okay. So then what's the alternative global challenge? Yeah, something like cancer. Yeah, so and so, so the so opportunity so came up, and you're actually considering I'm this. I'm considering, yeah, applying for it's called the Schmidt Science Fellow Program. Right. Yeah, and so this program, the goal of it is to uh, allow people to who have a PhD to transition into a field that is outside of their right. PhD focus. So I'm yeah. Thinking you, about applying, I actually have applied there. Yeah. Do you think part of that is your sort of, you know, need to, uh, I mean, it, it's just another new challenge to, you know, a need to oh, yeah. study a new thing. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was like when I read the description of that program, I just, I got really excited just because yeah. of the opportunity to learn something new. Yeah. yeah. I think, and I think that's also you know, when I thought that I would, after getting my PhD, I would go back to private sector. It's It was also a reaction to that, to the sense that it would now be the most natural thing to stay in academia. You can see all your peers um, starting these postdoc positions. And that yeah. makes sort of my natural reaction to that is, let's not go with the flow. Mm. I don't know where that comes from, but this is... yeah. That one's that one, you know. That one, even even after knowing you four years, that when you managed to surprise Suzanne and me with that one, it was like I told Suzanne, like she wants to be a cancer researcher now, and so, <laughs> Suzanne said, "Wow, she's really something. Where did she get that one?" <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, that's I, I I admire it. I I wouldn't. Know. That's uh, yeah. I hope it. So if they, you so they think if they if they offered you that, you might do it. <sighs> I have a feeling that if they really, if I get a chance to do it, that I won't allow myself to say no. All yeah. right. Well, see, my feeling about it is that, so this particular fellowship is one thing, right? So you, yeah. you phrase this as, well, this opportunity came up. And so, you know, that's how you kind of chose the other things. It's like there was a particular place or a partic you could go or a particular person you could work with. But my feeling is if this is something you want to do, you could do it, whether you get this particular thing or not. You know, I mean, you could find a way to, you're a, you know. It would be hard. Well, the, you mean to get. Uh, if you really wanted to work as a computational biologist, in my case, like with my background, that's. Uh, I mean, you have a PhD in applied math. You don't math. have a very competitive CV for doing something like that. Yeah, don't, undress, don't undersell yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do I know? That's not a field that I know, but I have a feeling. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's not, it's not something I had been thinking about like before 
that opportunity actually came up before I learned about that program. I mean, so this it's is a my, very spontaneous I, reaction. So I guess that. this is, I, I guess I'm trying to, you know, when it comes to like staying in academia or being an atmospheric scientist, obviously I'm, you know, I'm, I'm self interested and I have my own, you know, I'm, I'm too, uh, I'm, I'm too emotionally uh, engaged in your, in your story for you to listen to me too much. And that's fair enough. But, but, um, I do but, listen to your opinion. I know, you do. I know you do, but it's, I mean, you should make your decisions based on what I say. But, but I, but, I, but just as, you know, sort of an old person, you know, who's been around the block a couple of times and who's watched a lot of people do a lot of things, you know, I, I would say that, you know, I think, I think it's good. The right advice is that if you find something and you want to do it, don't give up on it so early just because the opportunity doesn't fall on you right in other words yeah i mean that, that yeah, shouldn't I be know. the reason if, you if choose I, things if, yeah going forward i really realize that this is something i really want to do then i might try to push harder you know it's just as i yeah as i said it's something that i hadn't thought about before i just i watched yeah. myself having this reaction to yeah to the way that it's described the program yeah. so i yeah, maybe I realized that this is really like the path I want to yeah. go. Go to Caltech yeah. and while you're there, walk into all the labs where people do this stuff. That is exactly the plan. Hang out. Oh, okay, good. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, I wouldn't yeah. understand what you're doing, but but uh, but I admire it. Yeah. You can uh, you can explain it to me. I will. <laughs> I will come give a talk. Yeah, that would be good for the students. Cancer cells. The, the, climate, the applied math climate scientists turned cancer researchers. You would have the most unique CV on the planet. We would definitely, definitely want you to explain that to the students. All right. It hasn't rained. No. Our forecast was right. Is it 6 o'clock? Oh, you Is made it. it. We you made, made it. it. Not right at Plyar, oh, mostly, yeah. anyway. Okay. Anything else we should be talking about? Did we cover your life in enough detail? I think we covered my life and a lot more than that. All right, Doc. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. Okay. Prof. <laughs> <laughs>